so we are starting a new sermon series I've entitled for you, The Harvest. The Harvest. <clears throat> and uh, we want to receive and also celebrate the harvest that God has, has so graciously uh, given us. Now, here's the, the, the intent and purpose of this message. We want to encourage the body of Christ to be ready to receive and celebrate, to receive and celebrate uh, the supernatural harvest of people and also prosperity. And, and understand what I'm trying to say to you is that without people, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot go forward. Without people and the finished work of Christ working tangibly in the lives of people, listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be spread to Colombia where we now have a church. It cannot be spread to South Africa where we have a missionary it cannot be spread in other places that God wants us to go. Matter of fact, it can't even be fulfilled here in this town called Lindenwall or this county called Camden County or this state called New Jersey and this region. It cannot go forward without people. <clears throat> but then also, we have a responsibility to realize that uh, without resources and the prosperity uh, collectively of his people, Again, we cannot do, we cannot accomplish, we cannot fulfill what God has, has called and created us to do. Matter of fact, um, none of us will be sitting here today, okay, if 10 people did not choose several years ago, right, to come together, right, to deny themselves, to fulfill the Great Commission, and also pull their resources to allow us to be and to do and to accomplish everything that God has called us and created us to do as a church today. Make sense? So, so we have a responsibility not to end there, but to continue this, this ongoing Great Commission responsibility that, that should last into generation after generation after generation, even to uh, the lives of children that are yet unborn. So if you can, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, and it's going to be our springboard into the, uh, pretty much the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 9. And, and this is going to kind of lay and, and tee us up to be able, be able to, to, to identify uh, six ways that you and I will know if we're ready for uh, his people. So in this message, we're going to be dealing with are we ready for his people and also are we ready for the prosperity that is needed to, again, fulfill the Great Commission and accomplish everything that God has called and created us to be and to do generationally until Jesus Christ comes back to, to take his church away. Make sense? Uh, we'd like to welcome you here to Commitment Church, also those who are watching on Commitment Online. We thank you so much for tuning in week after week, and um, it's an honor to be here. So I know it's kind of nippy outside, at least it was when I arrived, so we just look forward to what God's going to warm our hearts up with uh, through the scriptures. So if we can bow our heads and ask God for his help. God, we thank you so much just for the awesome opportunity to be here in your presence. <clears throat> thank you so much for the finished work of Jesus Christ. I pray now that you would just help me and empower me through your Holy Spirit. That you may accomplish exactly what we, we need today. You're faithful. Uh, God, there's much that we can sing and shout and dance about because of what and who you are. Lord, uh, we look forward to your word transforming our hearts. 
that we may be fully conformed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and that we may go into the highways and the byways to see the transformational work uh, begin and be completed in the hearts of so many other people of our nations and tribes and tongues. So, God, we, we love you. We thank you so much for an awesome opportunity week after week to gather in your presence. In Jesus' name, all set. All right, so we are starting a new sermon series I've entitled for you, The Harvest. The Harvest. <clears throat> and uh, we want to receive and also celebrate the harvest that God has, has so graciously uh, given us. Now, here's the, the, the intent and purpose of this message. We want to encourage the body of Christ to be ready to receive and celebrate, to receive and celebrate uh, the supernatural harvest of people and also prosperity. And, and understand what I'm trying to say to you is that without people, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot go forward. Without people and the finished work of Christ working tangibly in the lives of people, listen, the gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be spread to Colombia where we now have a church. It cannot be spread to South Africa where we have a missionary it cannot be spread in other places that God wants us to go. Matter of fact, it can't even be fulfilled here in this town called Lindenwall or this county called Camden County or this state called New Jersey and this region. It cannot go forward without people. <clears throat> but then also, we have a responsibility to realize that uh, without resources and the prosperity uh, collectively of his people, Again, we cannot do, we cannot accomplish, we cannot fulfill what God has, has called and created us to do. Matter of fact, um, none of us will be sitting here today, okay, if 10 people did not choose several years ago, right, to come together, right, to deny themselves, to fulfill the Great Commission, and also pull their resources to allow us to be and to do and to accomplish everything that God has called us and created us to do as a church today. Make sense? So, so we have a responsibility not to end there, but to continue this, this ongoing Great Commission responsibility that, that should last into generation after generation after generation, even to uh, the lives of children that are yet unborn. So if you can, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, and it's going to be our springboard into the, uh, pretty much the entire chapter of Matthew chapter 9. And, and this is going to kind of lay and, and tee us up to be able, be able to, to, to identify uh, six ways that you and I will know if we're ready for uh, his people. So in this message, we're going to be dealing with, are we ready for his people? And also, are we ready for the prosperity that is needed to, again, fulfill the Great Commission and accomplish everything that God has called and created us to be and to do generationally until Jesus Christ comes back to, to take his church away? Make sense? All right. So today, six ways. We're going to begin uh, th with three of the six ways that we know if we're ready for his people. Three of the six ways that we know we're ready for his people for the harvest. Matthew chapter 9, platform and it, verses uh, 37 and 38. Listen to what it says. It says, actually go back to ver th verse 36. It says, seeing the people, okay, this, the context is Jesus here starting this public ministry. Seeing the people, he, meaning Jesus, felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. 
Verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Then listen to what it says. Therefore, or because all of these things previous to verse 38, it says, therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into what? His harvest. So he has a harvest. There are people that are needed to go do what? Fulfill this responsibility of, of reaping this harvest. Now understand this and underscore that there are distressed people and there are dispirited people that you and I are living with, living next door to, that we work with, and that we know personally. And believe it or not, do you know the most important and influential worker in that person's life? You, me. You see, when we are asking God and praying God for the harvest, our workers for this harvest, really we should be asking and praying God for who? Me. Here am I, what? Send me. Send me into this, this harvest as a worker to ultimately reap the harvest so that these people that are distressed, these people that are dispirited, will no longer be as sheep without a shepherd. Because remember contextually, myself, even though I am defined as an under-shepherd, as a lead pastor, I am still but sheep in his pasture. Each one of us are collectively sheep within his pasture who have a responsibility to beget more sheep. Sheep beget more sheep to bring into the pasture so ultimately they won't be men and women who are dispirited, distressed, and without a shepherd over them, caring for their souls. That being said, let's now back up to verse number one, verse number one through eight. And we're going to identify the first of six ways to know if we're ready for his people, for his harvest. It says, getting into the boat, Jesus crossed over the sea and came to his own city. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son. Your sins are what? Forgiven. Verse 3, it says, and some of the scribes said uh, to themselves, this fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Now, logically, we say, hey, please forgive me, right? Uh, forgive me or you're forgiven. We think logically that is probably the, the easiest thing to do. Verse 6 says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up and pick up your bed and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowd saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Now, here's something that I want us to underscore as a side note, is that whenever God uses us, ordinary people like you and I, to represent the person of Jesus Christ in the harvest field, he begins to do amazing things. And when he begins to do amazing things that transforms people's lives, one thing should be and one thing only should be is that all attention, all glory, and all adoration turns to him. You see, when God is sending us out into the highways and the byways, it should never be, oh, look at the pastor. Oh, look at the church. Oh, look at me. Oh, look at Commitment Church. No. Ultimately, when God is doing something amazing in someone's life, it should instantaneously and immediately point, point them to the person of Jesus Christ that he may be high and lifted up. So we must understand in this whole harvest process that we must be, we, you can't get it twisted. 
that we must understand that, yeah, God would add to our numbers daily, those who are being saved. God will use you to lead people to Christ. But at the end of the day, it is not about, about Pastor Cedric or Pastor whomever. It's not about this church. It's not about you, but it's about Christ and Christ alone. He should be glorified, magnified in everything that we do. And if this is so, we will always remain a, at a safe place in our relationship with Christ and our hearts will remain tender before him. That being said, here's our first way to know if you are ready for his people. The first is this, is are we ready to forgive? We must be men and women who are ready to forgive. Please understand this, that Jesus Christ came to die for all. He does not pick and choose who he wants to forgive. His forgiveness, his grace, his mercy, his compassion, his forgiveness is extended to everyone. No matter your race, your culture, your socioeconomic class. Listen, no matter if, if you are a mass murderer. Matter of fact, Jesus classifies all of us as a mass murderer. Because if you say in your heart you hate your brother, you've committed murder. You see, they just didn't have the self-control <laughs> to not murder their husband or their wife. But I'm sure people thought about it in this room. <laughs> I'm not telling you, go do that, okay? <laughs> but I know it is crossed you're mine. <laughs> we must be ready to forgive. Listen, let's go deeper. It says, seeing their faith. This, the word seeing is super important. It means this, become acquainted with by experience. Listen, at the end of the day, for us to be men and women, followers of Jesus Christ who forgive, we must become men and women who are acquainted with sin, our sinners. What do I mean by this? The worst thing that happens to followers of Jesus Christ is when they get enough Jesus in them and enough head knowledge, they forget how much they are classified as sinners. Then we distance ourselves from the people we need to get close enough to introduce them to Jesus. We have selective amnesia. We, we somehow forget how bad we were, that if he can deliver me, he sure enough can deliver that person. So how then do I have a right to say, no, I'm not going to forgive them just as he is what? Forgiving me. We must be men and women who realize that, no, I am, I am clearly, I'm clearly acquainted with sinners. You know why? Because in my mother's womb, my, my, my dad and mom conceived me as what? A sinner. And, and if the temperature presented itself and the environment was right, guess what I will be? Or I will at least manifest that I'm what? A sinner. We can never forget it. Because when we forget it, then we forget how to forgive. Remember the scripture says, Jesus says, the one who's forgiven much, loves much. A lot of times we think, okay, well, I, 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 I love others much because I was forgiven much. Yeah, that's true. But really, love is more than just loving God much more because you can't love God much more 
without first loving others much more. It goes hand in hand. Inseparable. You can't say I love God more because he's forgiven me much and don't love you more because he's forgiven me much. We must realize that we are clearly acquainted with sin because I am a sinner. I'm sure everybody in, in your house, you have some, some canned goods, some perishable items in your cabinet, right? And there's one thing that is universally um, sure on each package in the U.S., you're at least going to have something called an expiration date, right? In other words, that expiration date says it's time to trash that. Or if you grew up like I did in Compton, the last of eight kids, uh, we, did, we ignored the expiration date. It's like, oh, we could push it a little bit more. We could push it a little bit more. Then it get a little mold on it. You just peel the mold off and cut it off. And, you know, and you just, you just used it because it was like that's all you had. Right? So, so, but this is what happens as Christians. We forget the expiration date that occurred over 2,000 years ago. You see, Jesus said, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven? You know what this word forgiven means? To let it go or to expire. For whatever reason, we we keep people on the shelf and say, no, no, you got to sit there a little while longer. Well, you know, that that date has a little smudge on it, right? And you can't really read what the date is. You can't discern or decipher what the date is. No, the date was over 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ came to die, was buried, and rose again for you and for me. That is the date of expiration. That's the date that all mankind says, just like he said to you and I, let it go. So whenever we try to, you know, extend the date, we extend the date and we begin to say, no, you got to jump through a little more hoops. No, you got to do a little bit more. No, I don't know if I trust you because, you know, there's this guy in the music industry. I won't mention his name. He's the, he's the, he's the talk of the town on Facebook and social media. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Expiration date. How many people that you live with, how many people you know of that we're missing an opportunity to see them come to know Jesus Christ because we are still dealing with expiration dates? You see, understand the context of this paralytic. Historically, there was two things that was happening. In other words, if you are a person that has physical abnormalities, you must be punished, being punished by God. Something you did, something your parents did, caused you to be in this situation. But then there was another uh, side of that, that coin when the Jews looked at those who had deformities or ab, you know, abnormalities, was that there's this purity thing. In other words, people, places, and things which are holy must be pure. If you're not pure, you're missing an arm, 
walk a certain way. Believe it or not, if you're left-handed, if you're left-handed, something's wrong with you. That's how um, <laughs> that's how sad it was. But you know what? We still have those same rudimentaries floating around the body of Christ. You know, those religious things that we said, check the box, check the box, check the box. Okay, something's wrong with you because we can't check that box. Can you imagine, just imagine with me, if you're left-handed, if, if 10% of the, this church right now was left-handed, that means everyone was looking at you as though something was wrong with you or your parents or somebody else. We must understand if we are going to be a people, a church that receives the harvest that God has for us, we must get to a point that we are quick to forgive, that our hearts will be in a healthy place to receive what he wants us to receive. Because you can rest assured God will send someone to sit right next to you that fits the description that causes you to say, nah. They don't belong here. Someone will walk down the street and the spirit of God will tell you to share the gospel with them. But because they fit the description. You would say, nah. Isaiah 9, verse 2 and 3 says this. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in dark in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will, be a, they will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of the harvest. Listen, only way this is going to happen is that we who are the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ must shine on people who are in dark places and upon this dark land. That's the only way they're going to come out. Because the God of this world has blinded their eyes. But we need to be men and women who come to the place that we completely understand that I have a responsibility to learn not to hold someone's past against them. We must be ready to forgive. But then verses 9 through 13 gives us our second way to know if we're ready for his people it says this, it says, begin with verse 9. As Jesus went out, went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what, is, what this means. I de desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners. So in other words, it's saying to you and I, listen, you can come in, the, in and out of these doors. You can go to the missions field. You can go and try to lead, lead Jesus to Christ. <laughs> but at the end of the day, if you don't have compassion, it doesn't impress God. It's just acts of religion. 
You can know Bible verses front, back, in, out, upside down. But if you have compassion, it doesn't impress God at all. It doesn't impress God at all. So we must be uh, people who understand that, number two, we are ready when we allow anyone to follow us. Anyone. We go through this process of forgiveness. Once we hit this process, go through this process of forgiveness, that we said, okay, now I'm not willing to let a tax collector follow me. Do you understand what a tax collector was? It was a Jewish person who was, if you would, hired, mandated by the Roman government to collect suppressive Roman taxes upon your brothers and sisters and your neighbors. So it's kind of like you living with someone who works for the IRS and sends you a letter and says, I'm going to levy all of your accounts. How would you feel? But understand what happened. Jesus approached him and says, follow me. Look, listen to what the text says again. He saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. The word saw means to become acquainted with by experience. You see, Jesus had to somehow engage Matthew. Don't know the, the in-depth conversation that he had, but at least he must, they must have had some kind of conversation that says, Hey, Matt, can we come back to your house? As a matter of fact, can, can you have a party and bring all your friends? And just tell them your friend Jesus, your new friend Jesus wants to meet them. It's kind of like this. Your friend saying things like, oh, why are you hanging out with them? Those people. God is so wise in his context. In other words, this fits so many different angles. Why do you go to church with those people? Why do you let him play with your children? Why are you always around those poor people? Why are you always around those rich, snooty people? Why are you always around those educated people? You know, those just highly educated people. Right? You hear that. You hear that today. Why are you around those black people? Those Latinos. Those white people. Why are you around them? You know, they don't speak your language. Why are you around them? It happens today and it's infecting the church. It's infecting the church and it's rendering the church inoperative. It is rendering the church powerless. Why, why are you following that black man as a leader? Why are you following that white man 
You know what they did to us. You see, part of the issue is we still are dealing with the expiration date. Well, you know what they did to our people? Well, you know, you know when, when I was in Compton, California, the police always put me over. But there has to be an expiration date. No expiration date, then I'm going to pick and choose who I want to follow me as I follow Christ. If you don't forgive your daddy, you're going to always have issues with men. And then you become ineffective man in reaching men. You'll be rendered powerless because you won't put the expiration date to say it's over, it's sealed, it's clean, it's clear. And it, listen, the balance is paid through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that person probably disrespected you a year ago or when you were a child or a month ago or a week ago. Or listen, even on your route here. But Jesus died for that. So we have to come to a place that we say, okay, if I'm ready now, God, for everyone to follow me, I must have processed this forgiveness stuff to allow everyone, especially those who God will literally set you up with. He will set you up. He will set you up to make you and I become acquainted enough to say, now I'm willing to be used by you to reach that person, that group of people. For my glory. We must become people. We must become a church that is ready to allow anyone to follow. By God's grace, we're a church that's further along than that, than a lot of churches. And praise God. But it's very easy to creep back to homogeneousness. Very easy to go back to what is comfortable. So it always has to be in front of you that, no, no, this thing, this harvest is so diverse. It is so unique that it is so open for everyone to follow them, no follow him, no matter their race, culture, social, economic class, and anything, Jew, Greek, anything in between, male, female, rich, poor. Matthew 16, 24 says it this way. Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. So here's the deal. Yes, there's going to be people God will call you to. But listen, it's the Jesus model. If, that not, if they're not willing to follow, it's not your job to make them follow. 
You can't make your husband come to church and make your husband follow Jesus. You can't make your wife. You can't make your children. You can't make your parents. You can't make your neighbor. You can't make anyone follow Jesus. Our responsibility is to sit down, get close enough, represent Christ enough so that they will be convinced enough to follow them or at least make an intelligible spiritual decision to follow him or not. That we are not the reason why they're not. Because we've managed our hearts. Our hearts are clean. Our hearts are receptive to all. Which which is one of the biggest hurdles in it all. Is not picking and choosing who we think needs Jesus. Second Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Remember, remember, God is not constrained by time. There is no time with God. There is no time with God. Man has put measurements of times and days and hours. You follow me? And to constrain, and God has even permitted it to allow us to kind of wrap our heads around eternity. But in God, with God, that's why you look at the scriptures. He can make time stand still. He can make time go backwards. He, he's, he's in control of it. So again, as we are allowing people to follow us, it's in his timing. It says timing. We present the facts. We live the facts. We live the truth. We shine the light. We are the sweet-smelling aroma that people become attracted to. But it's in his timing. Which says there's no pressure because 1 Peter 3.9 goes on to say, Instead, he is patient with you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. God wants everyone to come to know him. And he is not going to waste a second, a minute, an hour in, to, 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 to not be in pursuit of someone to come to know him. All we have is the awesome privilege to be co-laborers with him <laughs> by living lives before him, having the courage to have conversations with people when he leads us to. We must be ready to forgive, ready to allow anyone to follow. Because if a person is willing to follow, we must give people every opportunity to follow us as we follow Christ. Number three of six, if you look at verses 14 through 17, it says this. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, why do we and the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. But no one puts a patch on unstruck and clothed on an old garment. Now, it says, for the patch pulls away from the garment. And what happens? And a worse tear results. Now, let me date myself a little bit. So... Uh, now they are, what do you call the, the clothing? They are distressed, distressed clothes. Now it's hip. 
Now it's cool. Now it's like, yeah, distressed clothing. You, everybody's work, walking with their knees out, their, their elbows out, and things like that, and it costs more money. It's so, it's so weird, but that's another thing. So, so when I was a kid, I never forget. Whenever there was holes in your knees, first thing mama did is reach for the patch and start stitching that patch up, stitching that patch up, and thank God for manufacturers and those who invent things, save my mother a whole bunch of time in stitching because as I was a kid... <laughs> I would get my new, uh, what, they weren't Levi's, but they were they're tough skins, some generic brand of, of jeans. And I would come home the first day with my new jeans on with holes in them. And then they came out, they went from stitching a patch to remember the iron-on patch, right? You had the iron-on patch, right? But inevitably, you put, you put those jeans, either old jeans with a new patch, and you put them in a washing machine, what happened? <laughs> Right? I mean, inevitably, it's just going to separate. So that's the visual expression that God is saying is that, no, listen, there's nothing wrong with the patch. There's nothing wrong with the jeans. But if you put them together, right, something, so there's going to be an adverse effect to this. Right? In other words, if the jeans become the priority, it's going to rip away the patch. Okay? If the patch becomes a priority, it's going to what? It's going to damage the jeans further. And that's why if you continue to read, it says this in verse 17, nor do people put new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the, otherwise the wineskins burst and the wines pour out and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into fresh wineskins and both are preserved. Now, there's another uh, place in the Gospels that this is expressed and communicated, but in, and it's beautiful how the other Gospel presents it. It says, it says, so if you try to put new wine into old wineskins, it says the old wineskins will burst and you will lose both. Didn't say anything went wrong with the old, old wine, unless there's something old with the old wine that needs to just be discarded. So he didn't give any indication there was something wrong with the old wine, but you can't put or, you know, new wine into old wineskins because it just, it has to, it has to, you know, morph or develop or, you know, affirm it together rather than two things at two different levels, two, two different perspectives, and it's going to cause damage to both. You will inevitably try to, you were trying to hold on to the old and almost like allowing that old to be, you know, your end all, you eventually going to find yourself losing out on both. And that happens so many times with Christians is that we're trying to hold on to the past, 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 hold on to the past. Well, this is the way we did it. Well, this is the way I did it when I was a kid. You know, when Pastor so-and-so said, well, you know, when so-and-so was the leader of the church, we did it that way. You know, when I was unborn in the church, this is the way we did it. We go way back to stuff. thinking that it's still good today. And God is probably saying, throw it away. Do something different. So when we get to that place of realizing, okay, God, I got it. I have to forgive all people all the time. It would then empower you and strengthen you and give you the courage to say, okay, God, now I'm willing to allow all people to follow me no matter who they are, because my heart's clean. 
My heart's clean before you. My heart's clean before all mankind. So I'm ready for all people to follow me as I follow Christ. Inevitably, when you get to that point, I don't think there's a place in Scripture when someone is entering in a place of true discipleship and true transformational work of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he doesn't lead you to the third point, which is unfamiliar places. That you'll get to a point in your life that you must be ready to do the unfamiliar. It just happens. You live long enough, he's going to put you in an unfamiliar place. You can be at your job for 30 years, and guess what they do? He said, okay, it's time to be unfamiliar. You can, you can be, your marriage can be humming for the 10 years straight, and you're like, yeah, I love you, baby. You're all warm and fuzzy, and then something unfamiliar happens. You know, you could be married your first year. And, uh, here's the cool thing. So, so what you do, you get married. It's okay. This is when we're going to have kids. <laughs> you know, you, you know, now you're playing God. And inevitably what happens is the wait becomes longer or they come before you expect it. He would take you to unfamiliar places. It's inevitable. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you can think that you have planned your college career out to a T. And you know, okay, when I leave, I'm not going to have any debt. <laughs> you, know, I mean, it, it, you know, God throws a wrench in every area of your life. He just does it. He just does it. Listen, you can say, okay, I'm going to get a brand new car because I need a reliable car. Then it breaks. You're like, how can a brand new car break? Because I believe you see it thematically within the scriptures. There is a requirement when you are following after God that, man, you must live a fluid life, a life that is like you're still following a cloud by day and a fire by night. You know, see, think about the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Here they are, you know, they're in bondage for all these years, right? And then here comes Moses. Hey, everybody, it's time to go. No, we don't want to go. (laughs) It's like, what? I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave. Slavery is better than leaving. What kind of logic is that? But because we're so familiar with slavery and bondage, we say, I want to stay put. Right? And then God convinced them to say, okay, I'm just going to harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to make you leave this place. Matter of fact, you think work is hard. I'm going to tell Pharaoh to not give you straw anymore. I don't want to make it even harder for you. Right? Then eventually it gets uncomfortable. Right? And then now they got to go. Right? They get out there. Where do we go? Where do we go? Right? Where do we go? Okay, I get it. I know who you are. I know what's in your heart. I know what you're thinking before you said, here's my cloud by day, fire by night. I'll always be in a distance whenever you need me. Right? So they start following cloud by day, fire by night. Oh, we're thirsty. <laughs> oh, we're hungry. Wait a minute, I don't like quail. I don't like manna from heaven. 
You know, I don't like tasty cakes and stuff like that. You know, so you know, so you know, we ate better back in eat. What you want to go back into slavery because it's familiar. It's familiar. But to be a people, to be a church that is prepared for the people in the harvest, we must get to a place that we're willing to go to unfamiliar places. Places we've never been before. Do things we've never done before. Pray like we've never prayed before. Speak like we've never speak before. Stand for righteousness like we've never stand before. You got to go to unfamiliar places to see the cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ advance. That is just the way it works. You cannot stay in Jerusalem. And do you realize what happened historically in Jerusalem? They stayed in Jerusalem. They got the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? We, we equipped. Oh, we got more Jesus that we could shake a stick at. But you know what they did? They stayed right in Jerusalem. So you know what happened? First century church persecution is even historically documented. They started persecuting the church. Forced them to Judea. Read, read Acts. Or read, read history. Forced them then to go to Judea, where Jesus said you should go anyway. Then they get to Judea, and guess what happened? God blesses them in Judea, and guess what they did? Stayed in Judea. Right? And then they sat in Judea, sat in Judea, sat in Judea. Oh, praise the Lord. God's blessing the church. He's blessing the church. Oh, he's adding to the number daily. Those are being saved. And then they still stay put. So it's okay. This has to become, I have to take you to another unfamiliar place. You're going to do what I've called you to do. I told you Judea, I told you Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So eventually he pushes them to Samaria. And then guess who shows up? A guy by the name of Saul. Who did what? Persecute the church even more. That did what? Then pushed the church into all the world. And guess who was leading it? The one who was persecuting the church. He will always take you to unfamiliar places. There's about five quick things I'd like to give you. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Listen, we must be a people that allow the new things that God desires to come. If you're not the same, let the newness of God come. But then you also find Psalm 32.8. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eyes on you. We must become a people in a church that allows God to counsel us and instruct us along the way. Listen, God would never tell you to leave and go to unfamiliar places without instructing you and providing counsel. That's just what he does. He does that. He's faithful. 
He will give you clarity. He will give you insight. He'll, people, he'll allow people to be around you, to uphold you, to help speak into your life, to help inspire you, encourage you, set you straight when you, when you want to go back to Egypt. Isaiah 43, 19, it says, Behold, I will do something new. Now it will spring forth. Will you not be aware of this? But listen to what it goes on to say. I will even make a roadway in the wilderness, river in the desert. So, God, you're setting me out to this unfamiliar place. It may be a desert. You're going to provide a roadway. And it's going to be an unfamiliar, dry place. You're going to place a river right in the middle of it. That's the way he does it. He will provide direction. He will provide resources. He'll give you every single thing you need when you are doing what he's called and created you to do. He will ultimately be there to counsel. He will provide, even if it means a river in a parched land. Ecclesiastes 3.1. Listen, someone, I think it was the Beatles or somebody, wrote a song about this. There is an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for everything under heaven. Understand this. That there is going to be a time that is just going to change on you. If you like it or not. You could try to hold it together, dot every I, cross every T. You will come a time, it will come a time that you will be in an unfamiliar place, if you like it or not. That's just the way God rolls, is that he wants us to be in step with him. And what unfamiliar areas and terrain and and, uh, experiences does it immediately aligns a follower of Christ's heart with the master. Listen, your unfamiliar place can be said, okay, I'm single, been single for the last 40 years. Get married. (laughs) I'm familiar. (laughs) It, It is what it is. You know, it's beautiful, but it's unfamiliar. Right? I mean, you, listen, you can get a job and you say, oh, praise the Lord, this is the best job in the whole wide world. Then you get close enough to that boss, then you realize, oh, this is unfamiliar. <laughs> right? I mean, you can, you can be, okay, God, I'm going to start my own business. I want to be independent. I'm going to be my own boss. Can I tell you, for the record, you're never your own boss? I mean, even on this earth, let me tell you, let me give you some basic business one-on-one really is this, is that even if it's your own business, you have something called a customer. <laughs> and your customer is your boss. <laughs> He's the one, she's the one who's writing your check to say, okay, you've done a good job or not. You follow me? So it's, it's like, okay, well, let me, let me make sure I have a healthy perspective to say, okay, God, I know I'm a, I'm a go through life and matriculate through life in situations with certain people that ultimately it's going to flip my script. But you don't panic about it because you know it adds up to something. And it adds up to the gospel. It adds up in preparing you and, and, 
Sometimes healing you and restoring you and opening your eyes to certain things. Sometimes you need to go through a difficult employment state to open your eyes. God would just set you up to open your eyes and soften your heart. So you can forgive everyone. So you can allow everyone to follow you. Lastly, 1 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 25 to 29, quickly it says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weaknesses of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are, which are not. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are. Why? So that no man can boast before God. Because here's the real deal, right? Here's the real deal. Once we start getting some Christian stripes on our chest and and our shoulders, it's all about me. Look what I did. We start writing books. We start sharing testimonies. We start getting interviewed. Hey, look what we're doing as a church. Look, 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 look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Look at us. Look at us. Look at us. But again, God sends us through these unfamiliar areas of our lives to say, nope. Nope, nope, nope. You will never, ever, ever rob me of something that only belongs to me and me alone. So the unfamiliar journeys of life is required of every follower of Jesus Christ to make sure that we stay at a healthy place, our hearts stay tender, our minds and thoughts stay clear and focused on the one who deserves it all and who is empowering us and providing for us the people to change the world and turn it upside down. That it would never, ever, ever be said about us that it's all about us and not about him. Can we end with this? Can you just sit where you are, please, and just cycle this in your heart and mind and just ask the Lord to ready you to forgive? Just to ready you to forgive as he is forgiven. Just let the expiration date stay. And you just ask him right now to ready you to allow anyone to follow you as you follow Christ. To ready you to do the unfamiliar. Can you just talk to him right now, please? And as the worship team comes back up and, and starts to play through and sing through the song,
Lights, gentlemen, please. Thank you. Could you just begin to pray for God's harvest? If you can even, if you're with family or friends, can you huddle up or huddle with your family, friends, and somebody else maybe you don't know? But let's not leave someone by themselves. And just little small huddles around the church. Can you pray that God will prepare us as a church for this harvest can you start praying now for individuals that may come to mind if you're not comfortable to pray out loud that's okay just pray but let's agree that God's going to move for us family members co-workers friends neighbors strangers that God will use you, use us to go into all the world and see that person, those people of all nations, tribes, and tongues come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ.